You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. How are we? Hope everybody is doing well. Um, I know that I had a great day yesterday, and I hope that you enjoyed a good weekend. I know yesterday was kind of windy with the weather and everything, but it was a good day for us with the Armstrongs. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 8. This past week, I was talking to Thomas about this sermon, and I said, Thomas, I need more verses, uh, because this is what John Piper calls the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to preach just four verses. Um, I need verses 9 through 11. And he said, Tyler, you got to leave me something to preach next week. And so I am excited to preach this message. I love Romans 8. I love the entire message of Romans 8. And I would encourage you in the midst of this sermon series of set free, read Romans 8 every day. Read it every day in between this week. It would be so incredible if you even committed Romans 8 to memory. Uh, this is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. And it is so encouraging to us as we read it this morning and as we read it daily. So I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be in verses 5 through 8 this morning. This is what the Word of the Lord says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are totally and able to submit to you without a work of the Spirit. And I pray that your Spirit would just do a work in our hearts this morning. That we will submit to your word. That we will submit to your your authority as God. And that God, that we will just realize that without your Spirit, we are nothing. The flesh can commit nothing to you. Father, I just pray that your word will be proclaimed this morning through me, just as a vessel. And God, I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to encourage you to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. To live your life that is so marked by the Holy Spirit's invasion into your hard, stone, cold, dead heart that changed it. And not by the flesh that so often rears its ugly head in our lives. You see, there. This passage makes two distinctions about what types of people are watching this live stream right now. There are believers and there are unbelievers. It is that simple. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There are not super Christians, lukewarm Christians, super sinners, kind of sinners. No, there are two people watching this live stream. And you fit into one of these categories. You are either a believer or you're an unbeliever. The problem is is that sometimes our flesh will make us think that we are actually in one of those categories when we are not. And we can think that we can believe the lies of the enemy when we're a believer and think that we're an unbeliever. Or we can even more so believe the lies of of the enemy and think that we are a believer when we're actually an unbeliever. You see, our flesh goes against everything that God has us to stand for. 
And what we see in this passage is there's actually a battle for the mind between the flesh and the spirit. And in a world that is full of self-care, which I saw on my Facebook stories last night, some, someone posted, you know, tonight's a self-care night while they're eating a pack of Oreos. Or, to, or, or you know, or, a world that is full of positive thinking and positive thoughts and get your negative vibes out of here. And this idea of having mental health checks and, 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 and checking on our own minds, we need to realize that our minds are enslaved to sin because of our sinful flesh. So the question is, is how can we liberate our minds? How can we set our minds free from this battle? And the way we do that is by living by the Spirit, not by our flesh. So how can we know the difference? How does this battle look like? How can we see the fruit of a flesh-filled life and a spirit-filled life? How can we know these things? Well, we can know these things from the text. We can know these things from the text. And the first thing I want to point out is what life by the flesh looks like. Growing up in this area that is full of, you know, all this different southern history, I heard this old story and it's attributed to Cherokee Indians. And the story goes that there's this old Cherokee Indian who is sitting here with a, a younger Native American and they're all hanging out together and he says, a fight is going on inside of me. And he goes on to say that there's two wolves fighting inside of me right now and there's one wolf that has all this greed and all this selfishness and, and all these just repulsive things but then there's this one wolf that's full of love and all the, and, and empathy and and, and just all the enjoy and all these things, and they're fighting inside of me, and they're also fighting inside of you, talking to the younger Cherokee. And the younger one looks at him and says, Well, which wolf will win? And the older one says, The one that you feed. Now, we love that illustration, and I've heard that so many times of how we need to feed the good wolf, but the problem is, is with that illustration, you cannot feed the good side of you. Because the truth is, is that there is no good side of you. Romans 3 tells us that there is no one good. There is no one who seeks God. Even the best parts of you are flesh filled. Even the best parts of you that you think are doing the best work are actually driving you away from God if they are not committed to the Spirit. You see, Paul tells us in verse 5 that for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. When you set your mind on something, you are actually committing your life to the things of that thing that you were set upon. The Greek word there is this Greek word called phreneo. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 16, 23. Listen, what he, this is him speaking to Peter. But he turned and said to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. When we set our mind on something, Dr. Steve Lawson, who's a pastor, pointed out this definition. He said, It is to be absorbed with something, to focus so sharply on something. It is not just occasionally glancing at fleshly things, but living life with their minds set on the things of the flesh. You're set on the things that draw you in. These carnal, fleshly, worldly appetites that draw us in. It's your desire. Is that your desire is set on the things of the flesh. 
And some of those things can be mirrored as good things, but even the best of fleshly things can be mired in sin and draw us away from the Father and draw us away from a Spirit-filled life. So when one is focused on the flesh, sin will inevitably be the drawing factor. It will be the thing that draws you in. And you may be saying, but Tyler, I do all these good works. I, I, I serve in soup kitchens. I, I help people. I gave things to healthcare workers. I do these things. I would ask you to check yourself on why do you do that? You probably do that because of some kind of sinful pride that drives you to, to, to serve others so that you can get this proverbial pat on the back and feel good about yourself. When your life is not filled with the Spirit, it is filled with the flesh. And it fleshes itself out in ways that are anti-Jesus. But when the Spirit has liberated our minds, we are set free to truly live for Jesus. Because we are wholly and wholeheartedly committed to Him. So what does the flesh-filled life look like? What does it look like when your life has not been set free? When you are an unbeliever that has their mind set on the flesh? The first thing is the unbeliever is focused on death, verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And if you go down to verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. John Piper points out in his look on the book on, on this, these two verses, verses 5 and 6, that's not actually focusing on the object of death and dying. It's actually focused in on the presence of death. And I love that distinction because this is what Romans 6, 21 and 23 says. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Talking about our sin. For the end of those things, your sin is death. For the wages of sin is death in verse 23. So at the end of sin is death. This reminds me of James' beautiful verse when verse 1 where he talks about this life cycle of sin that when desire is fully conceived it gives birth to sin and then when sin is fully grown it brings forth death when we are focused on sinful fleshly things we are focused in on death and not physical death when we are in sin we're not sitting there thinking about physical death no we're focused in on spiritual death and we don't even realize it because we are so mired in this when we are unbelievers, or if you're an unbeliever, you're so mired in this, and I remember my heart. I can look back at these moments before I knew Christ, and I think about it, and I go, man, I was so mired in the flesh. I was so mired in the flesh, and I was so mired in sin, I was just so covered in it that I did not realize that a life by the flesh, that is lived for flesh-filled things, for worldly things, brings death. It is a life marked by separation from God. It is a life that is marked, that is revolved around things that don't matter in eternity. You're walking around focusing on things that ultimately bring nothing but spiritual death, which is the worst death of all. The second thing is, is that the unbeliever, their mind is hostile to God. Verse 7, the first part of it. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. This is what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says about this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to Him. For, and He is un, not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, it takes a work of the Spirit to liberate the sinful mind. 
You cannot liberate your own mind. No matter, no matter how much self-care you do, no matter how much positive vibes you give, or positive thinking that you give, you cannot liberate your mind. No matter what that false teacher on TBN says, you cannot liberate your mind with positive thinking. I literally read a book that is very, a very popular author this past week. And she said that you cannot live a positive life with negative filled thoughts. Which is in a way true, but they were trying to argue that from a standpoint of Christianity. That is not biblical Christianity, brothers and sisters. That is anti-gospel. That is anti-Christ. We need to realize that our minds, when we are not in Christ, cannot focus on positive things because the only positive thing that we have is the Spirit of God. Sure, we can think about some good things, but even those good things are mired by sin, and the mired by sin mind is hostile to God. It is foolishness to Him. And when the natural mind is hostile to God, it reminds me of this illustration. There was a soldier, a Japanese soldier in World War II, his name was Haru Anada. And he was hostile for 30 years after the war ended. The war ended in 1945, and he continued to fight on this island in the Philippines. For 30 more years. It wasn't until 1974 when he finally surrendered. People were, they were, the Japanese were flying planes over the island, dropping leaflets saying the war is over, the war is over. And he saw mistakes in it and he goes, no, this has to be some kind of American ploy. These Philippine soldiers came to the island and they, they tried to liberate him and he killed over 30 people over these 30 some odd years trying to liberate him because his mind was still thinking he was still in a mindset of war. He was still fighting so hard against the things of freedom that he thought that he was still in war. And it wasn't until 30 years later that he finally realized because of his brother coming to him that it was finally time to surrender. His mind was hostile to the idea that the war was over. Brothers and sisters, I need to ask you this question. Is this you today? Is your mind hostile to God? Is there some part of your flesh that is hostile to God, believer? If you're an unbeliever, realize this. Your mind is hostile to God. You cannot submit to Him. And in this... You need to ask this question, is my flesh warring against God? Is it hostile? Is it destroying me? Is it destroying this, 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 this part of me that I feel is so good? Realize this, that this is you. The war is over in Christ Jesus. The war is over in Christ Jesus. The Spirit will do a quickening work in your life, removing the blinders from your eyes so that you can see His glorious grace, so that you can see the hostility between you and Him, and so that you can submit to Him. C.S. Lewis has this beautiful distinction that he says that whenever we come to Christ, we are not good people trying to become better people. No, we are hostile enemy soldiers coming before the King to lay down our arms. Our sinful minds are hostile to God. One of the most, just best, correct, biblical pictures of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was anti-God, he was anti-Gospel, going against God, and God did a work in his life, kicking him off his horse, and Jesus standing over him. And before he was even a believer, Paul says, 
Who are you, Lord? He knew that this person who kicked him off his horse that day on the road to Damascus was his Lord over him. And he submitted to his life. He was a hostile mind who became a freed mind in Christ. Is that you today? Do you need to submit your mind today? The third thing that the unbeliever's mind is set on from this text is that the unbeliever cannot submit or please God. The second half of verse 7 and then go into verse 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. As we saw this from last week, for the law of the Spirit has set you free, freeing Christ from the sin of death. For the God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The flesh cannot do this. It cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 7. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, you cannot submit to God if you're in the flesh. And you cannot please God if you are in the flesh. Fleshly things do not please God. This is the words of Jesus from John 6.63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Let me read that one more time. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. If your flesh is no help at all, then why do we think that our good works commit anything to God? They do not please God. This text tells us that. This text tells us that our flesh cannot even submit to God. It cannot please God. We need to realize that our lives, even the best of intentions, do not please God, nor can they submit to Him. Because we are morally unable to do so you do not wake up in the morning when you're an unbeliever and go you know what i'm going to submit to god if you did that let me tell you what that was that was the work of the spirit in your life according to this text if you woke up and said i'm going to submit to god today that is a work of the spirit not a work of the flesh unless your flesh is lying to you making you think that you are submitting to god when you're actually submitting to yourself and thinking that you're the better god than our god and creator is Jonathan Edwards makes this great doctrinal distinction of the doctrine of total depravity. And he talks about man's natural ability and man's moral inability. This is what he means by this. Your natural ability was to make the choice to actually choose God. Your natural ability was to choose God. If you look at the Garden of Eden, they had the freedom of choice. They had the ability to submit to God, they had the, the ability to submit to Him and to His headship and, and worship Him in freedom. But then when they sinned, their moral compass was destroyed. Their sinful flesh overcame them. And now their natural ability is gone and now we are morally unable to choose God because of our federal head in Adam, of His choice we were in Adam that day, and because of His choice, we cannot choose God because of our choices now. Because of our choices of sin. Psalm 51 tells us that we were conceived in sin. We were born into it. It is our nature now because of Adam's choice in the garden. Our will is not free, brothers and sisters. Our will is enslaved to sin. 
We need to realize that our fleshly will is enslaved to sin. We are morally unable to choose God now. Go back to that verse in Second in 1 Corinthians 2 where he talks about this. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Without a work of the Spirit, we cannot understand or choose God. That is what this text is telling us. This is what one of the old Baptist confessions says about this idea of moral inability. Humanity, by falling into a state of sin, has completely lost all ability to choose any spiritual good that accompanies salvation. Thus, people in their natural state are absolutely opposed to spiritual good and dead in sin, so that they cannot convert themselves by their own strength or prepare themselves for conversion. You cannot choose spiritual good. You are morally unable to do so. You cannot submit to God. So, is there any hope for us? In this bleak idea of an unbeliever's mindset? Yes, there is. There is hope for the unbeliever. There is hope for us brothers and sisters. And that hope is a life that is lived by the Spirit, by work of the Spirit. This is that point in the boxing movies. I love boxing movies. I love MMA movies. And this is that point in those Rocky movies or the newer Creed movies, which I love. If you haven't watched those, I would encourage you to do so. Where Creed is up against the ropes or Rocky's up against the ropes. I think of Rocky verse in Rocky 4 where Ivan Drago's on top of Rocky. And then all of a sudden he just starts countering back. This is the counter moments where the believers who are watching this live stream right now best get ready to jump on up out their seats because this is the hope of the gospel, brothers and sisters, that the Spirit can awaken our dead, cold, stone-filled hearts that are so just, just filled of sin and be awakened to be a flesh-filled that is not just flesh that is filled by sin, but a Spirit-filled flesh. That we are marked by the Spirit and that the Spirit has changed us. I look back at when the Spirit awakened my heart to the glories of the Gospel and I tasted the goodness of Jesus and I said, I want nothing else. And if you're a believer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The goodness of the Spirit that brings us in. So what does a life look like that is submitted to the Spirit? Go back to verse 5. In the verse 5 it says, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is what Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, this is Paul writing, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Through the Spirit our desires have been changed. When our desires have been changed, that means that those, those things that our minds, that Phreneo set our minds upon, are, we don't set our minds on the things of the flesh anymore, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. This is why Paul in Colossians 3 encourages the church at Colossae to do this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. Your flesh has died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He goes on later in Galatians 5 and says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And now there's new desires because you are a new creation in the Spirit. You are new. You're a new creation. He has renewed you and He has made you new. And no longer is your life marked by fleshful desires. You are marked by a Spirit-filled life. A renewal of your flesh. I'm going to quote Luke Parker from just a few weeks ago when he was preaching on James 2 on our Wednesday night series. He says that the fruit reveals itself in the life of the Spirit because they are submitted to the Spirit. The fruit is the result of the root of faith in Christ Jesus who sent us the Spirit in John chapter 14. When he talks about how he sent the Advocate for us, he has sent the Spirit for us. And now... Our lives are rooted in faith of Christ Jesus who sent us the Spirit. Now, now the Spirit resides in us and now we can exude the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit does not come naturally to us, but now, but now by a life that is marked by the Spirit, we are consumed by Him. Let me tell you how you can tell when a man loves a woman or a woman loves a man. It's very simple. They are consumed by it. I see this all the time with, with, with teenagers, especially in student ministry. When they are that first taste of love, they are consumed by that girl. They're consumed by that guy. That's all they can think about. That's all their minds is just enraptured around this one person. In the same way, when they get older and they get married, and I think about the way I love my wife, I am just, I am just, and just completely encompassed upon my wife. I love her so much. And she loves me the same way. Because our lives are consumed by that love. When our lives are filled with the Spirit, the love of God should just so consume us that we are completely and wholeheartedly, our minds are set upon Him because He loves us so much. And we love Him so much. And we are encompassed by a Spirit Filled love. If you love God and are focused in God alone and His sufficiency and His because He is enough for us, the fruit should be there. This is what Romans six twenty two says. But now, you see that other counter that you were the things of the sin; those things brought forth death. But now, that counter that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, which means purification, that you're becoming more like Jesus, and in its end, that counter to death, eternal life. You get eternal life. And then that second half of Romans 6.23, the counter to that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is overcome by life when a life that is marked by the Spirit. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The second mark of a believer's life in this passage is in verse 7. Well, actually verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But, you see that counter, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life in Peace. Jesus says this in John 6.63 again. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The way we know salvation and know that we have eternal life is through the work of the Spirit and in our hearts and in our lives. 
So why does the Spirit give life and peace? Because the Holy Spirit just does it. Because of God's goodness. Because of His overwhelming goodness of the Father's love that He sent the Son to us. And now that He sent the Son to us, the Father and the Son sent the Spirit so that now we can live in us so that our hearts can be changed and our hearts can be marked by the Father's love and the Son's love through the Spirit's work of changing our hearts. The Spirit has sent, been sent to us so that we can know the truth of the Gospel. So that we can know life and peace. This is what the text says about this. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. For who knows a person's thoughts except that the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The only way we can understand spiritual things, like the Gospel, like our sin that has overcome us, like our need for a Savior, the only way we can understand such things it's through a work of the Spirit. And the Spirit awakening our hearts and our minds to the goodness of the Gospel. That's the only way. In Hebrews chapter 10, it actually tells us that the Spirit witnesses to us. It says this, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, and I love this, it's actually attributing text from the Old Testament to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Isn't it awesome how God's God-breathed Word is speaking to us, even in the Old Testament? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then the Spirit adds, and then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And the author of Hebrews writes, By the Spirit, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. Why is there no longer any offerings of sins, brothers and sisters? Because of the cross of Christ. We can be set free from our sinful minds, our sinful flesh this morning because of the cross of Christ. That moment of which He came so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be set free. The Holy Spirit bears witness to this, that the cross of Christ is the action in all the universe that has set us free from our sin. The cross of Jesus Christ is enough and it has set us free. The Holy Spirit testifies to this. He testifies, He bears witness to this using text from the Old Testament to point forward to the new and better covenant that Jesus Christ established. And now that our covenant has been established, brothers and sisters, we can be set free. We can be set free through the blood of Jesus, through the Father's just beautiful, gracious plan of redemption through the Son by the Spirit's work in our lives. And the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts to the saving knowledge of Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To the unbeliever, this makes no sense. 
But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we can know the truth because the word of the cross is not folly to the believers who are watching this live stream. It is not foolishness to us. It is not a stumbling block to us. No, it is the power of God that saves us this morning. It is the power of God that saves us because we know that the freedom from this, from our enslaved flesh is here and His name is Christ Jesus and when we call on the name of Jesus, we can be set free. We can be set free through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us live in the life and peace that only the Spirit can give us. To a world that is perishing, let us live under the power of the blood of the Lamb. Let us live under liberated, set free minds that are set free by the Spirit. And let us proclaim that message. And through that message, the Spirit of God will do a work on the flesh-filled lives around us that are so just full of sin. And we will see just dead sin, dead people come to life. The most miraculous thing that we see, dead people who are just so full of sin come to life in Jesus Christ. We will see it when we proclaim the gospel and the Spirit works through the gospel message. Has the Spirit done a work to you today? Ask yourself that question. Has the Spirit done a work in you today? Is the gospel changed you today? You may be an unbeliever sitting inside your house this morning, somehow stumbled on this live stream by accident, and I tell you right now, that was no accident. That was no accident. That was God in His Spirit orchestrating your life so that you could hear the gospel, so that the Spirit could awaken your heart, so that you could be liberated, so that the blinders could fall off and you could see your, your mind is focused on death and that your mind is hostile to God and that you realize that you cannot submit or please God. And in that moment, the Spirit is doing a work to where now you can submit to God because you have been made new. If that is you today, submit to Jesus. He is enough for you. He has saved you. And then call our church office. Call, message our Facebook page. Let somebody know so that we can rejoice with you. Just a few weeks ago, there was a student that we have been praying for. And in the midst of this season where we've been all spread out because of this virus, the Spirit did a work in his life. And he submitted to Christ in salvation. And we rejoice with that family. We rejoice with that family. And we realize that that wasn't a work of that 8th grade student. That was the work of a Spirit that loves us. Of a Holy Spirit that loves us. That seeks to make dead things alive. And we worship God for it. Believers who are listening to this, there are still parts of us that need to be sanctified. There are still parts of us that need to be sanctified. And when we are sanctified in the Spirit, we are being made more like Christ. I pray that you will examine your heart and look at the parts of you that aren't being sanctified because you haven't handed them over. Hand your sin over to God. Lay down your arms. Lay down the parts of you that are hostile to Him. Through the Spirit. And the Spirit will do a work in you today. Let us live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Will you pray with me?
Father God, I thank you for the just this passage of scripture in Romans chapter eight. That God, our lives can be changed. That our lives can be made new. Not because of our sinful flesh, but because of the work of the Spirit. Father, your word always goes out and it never returns void. Every time your word is proclaimed, there is victory. And I pray that in living rooms, in bedrooms, in kitchens, all around our county, all around our state, all around our nation, wherever this is being watched right now, that victory is being celebrated through the cross of Jesus Christ. And now we live lives that are so filled with the Spirit that we can rejoice and we can worship because of what the Spirit has done. We worship you, God, for your glorious plan of redemption. And Father, if there were unbelievers who tuned in today, I pray that you awaken their hearts. That you quicken their hearts to see that they need you. And that you will save them. And I pray so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.